Good morning. Good to see everybody here. My name is Jason Graves. I'm one of the ministers here at Riverside. Uh, Corey, our preaching minister, is out of town this weekend, and so I'm filling in as we continue this this uh, sermon series that we're calling Jesus at the Center. What does it mean for Jesus to be at the center of every aspect of our life? And specifically today, what does it mean for Jesus to be at the center of our relationships? And I want to be clear from the beginning that today mostly I'm going to talk about relationships within the church. What does it mean for Jesus to be at the center of relationships we have with other people who follow Christ? And I'll tell you later how I think that impacts all of our relationships. But I think the church at its best is a, a, a training ground for us to learn how to have relationships that both honor Jesus and reflect his love to the world. If we can't learn to do that here, I don't think we have a shot of doing it much elsewhere, right? And so I want us to, to start there and, uh, and talk about that. And I want to do that by jumping into scripture. We don't always jump straight into the text for the day, but I want to do that today to let this kind of start echoing around in our hearts in our minds uh, as we reflect on it. So if you would, open up your Bibles and your Bible apps to the, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. We'll be in chapter 4, verse 1. And really what we're reading this morning is a prison letter. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. He's got time on his hands. And so what does he do with that time? Well, he wants to encourage other Christians. He wants to encourage some of the churches that he may have been a part of founding or he's, he knows and is aware of. And so he starts writing these letters, letters that encourage and challenge and build up these churches as they seek to grow in their faith and grow in their unity. And so he's writing this particular letter to a group of churches in the city of Ephesus. And like most of his letters, he's going to spend a bunch of time talking about what it looks like to be in relationship with each other in the church. Okay, here's how we treat each other. But he doesn't stop there. He's, it's not just what this looks like. He also wants to talk about why. Why we do this. And so that's what I hope you're listening for as we uh, read the, the, the first verses of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says this. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. If you hear nothing else today, may these words from scripture of calling and reminder find nesting places in your hearts and in your minds and in your relationships. May God be glorified by the reading of his word. Amen. Earlier this week, my wife and I were working out together uh, because it's January. Um, 
that's what you do. I was in the middle of a bunch of sets of, of sit-ups, um, which are of the devil. Yeah, I'm convinced of that. And uh, I was in the middle of not being able to breathe, which is normal for sit-ups. And, and my whole body had uh, cramped. I didn't know they could all, every muscle could cramp at the same time, but apparently they can. Um, and I heard a voice. Apparently my wife did not hear this voice, so I'm assuming that voice was in my head. It's a voice that I'm familiar with. I've heard it on multiple occasions, and some of you have probably heard a similar voice that said very clearly, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you doing this? What are you doing to yourself? I've heard it before. I mean, on one level, that voice can be considered a discouragement, or at least a temptation towards discouragement, right? But on another side, there's part of me that's glad it asked the question, right? Why are, why are you doing this? What are you here for? Because then I could answer it and say, oh, there is a reason for me doing this. Get healthy, you know, do the things I need to do. Yeah, there's, there, there is a reason for this. And being reminded of that reason, I could then double down, right, and power through that and, and get through the hard parts of a workout because I have the answer to that question I hope you hear that that's what Paul is doing in this part of Ephesians for the Christians in Ephesus. He's, he's trying to answer the why behind the what. He's saying, hey, you know, as Christians, I want you to treat each other these certain way, you know, patient and, and with love and humility. I, I want you to do that. But it's not just about that. It's the why behind that. Because you share a lot of things in common, one body, one spirit, one Lord, that's, that's, why you're, that's why you're doing this. And he wants to remind them of that because Paul knows that we need reminders. Especially when it comes to relationships. Relationships get messy. Have you met people? We, we, uh, we have a, a tendency to get on each other's nerves after a while, right? To, to maybe even hurt each other at times. Relationships can get hard, and, and I think often what happens when, when we're in uh, relationships with somebody else, whether that's a friendship or a marriage or a, uh, a parenting or whatever it is, and things get messy, we begin to forget why we're in this relationship to begin with. What's, what's at the heart of the relationship? And that's what Paul wants to remind people in the church. And I wonder if we don't ask that question enough when it comes to our involvement in a faith community and church. Why are we here? What are we looking for? You know, even if you're new here, if this is your first time, you know, why, why come in the door of, of a church on a Sunday morning if you've been a Christian for a long time? What, what is it? Why, why are you part of a, a faith community? And I'm sure if I went around the room, everybody would have a different answer to that question. And I don't know what your answer would be, but I know what Jesus would want your answer to be. Now, it's a bold statement, but I think I could stand pretty well on it to, to say, I, I know what Jesus would want your, state, your answer to be. I've been fascinated the last couple of years with a certain kind of story in the Gospels and the stories of Jesus. And it's the, the stories where Jesus comes into contact with another person, and there's something in that person that he sees, and he's just like, oh, yeah, I like that. That's good. That's cool. And there's times that he pulls his disciples together and he goes, you see that? You see that person? That, that's what you need to be like. Yeah, like that right there. And there's other times where it's more subtle. 
One of my favorite ones is in, is in Luke 18. Jesus is on his way to Jericho, and he's got a group of people with him, and they're traveling towards the city, and right outside the city, just outside, there's a, a beggar there. He's blind, probably one of the regulars, been there a long time. People know him. He can't see it, but he can hear the crowd moving towards him as somebody tells him, Jesus of Nazareth is on the way. And we don't know why this guy knows this is his big chance, but he knows this is his big chance. And so he yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around him are like, all right, big guy, settle down. Jesus has got stuff going on, you know, settle down. But he won't be deterred, and so he gets louder, and he says, Jesus, son of, son of David, have mercy on me. Well, this time Jesus hears him, and he stops, and he says, okay, whoever said that, bring that person to me. I want to I I talk to this person. And so they help him up, and they bring him over to, to Jesus. And they're, as, they're bringing, as they're bringing him to Jesus, I just picture Jesus you know, looking at him, pointing his voice at him maybe even, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, now if Jesus asked you that question, what would you say? Like for real, this isn't, this isn't the genie in the bottle question. This is, if, if you came in contact with Jesus and he asked you the question, what do you want me to do for you? What would your answer be? The deepest desire of your heart that you would want Jesus to, to step into, what would it be? We have a hard enough time, I think, talking about what we want for dinner, much less what we want in the deepest parts of who we are. But that's what Jesus is kind of asking here. What do you want from me? And we may not know, but this guy knew. And he says, Lord, I want to see. And he probably means physical sight, but he may mean more than that too. And Jesus is like, yeah, okay, receive your sight. And then he says something really interesting. He says, your faith has healed you. He doesn't say, I've healed you, the son of David has healed you, the son of God has healed you. He says, your faith has healed you. This is happening because I'm responding to what I see, to your faith. That's what's healed you. And what is that faith? What does that mean for this guy? It's, it's his deep understanding that he needs Jesus. He knows in a desperate way, he won't be deterred, that this is the one who can answer what he needs. This is the one who can give him that. And that's what Jesus is looking for. So often in scripture, when, when Jesus says that's faith, that's what he's talking about. Somebody who knows their deep need for him. That's what he wants. That's what he wants your answer to be to the question, why are you here? Why are you part of a faith family? In fact, that's what churches are. At their best, churches are groups of people who have said, Jesus is Lord and are chasing after him because they know their need for him. That's how the church started and that's what the church continues to be. Groups of people chasing after Jesus, pointing each other to Jesus, encountering Jesus, and coming to know him more and growing in our faith. That's what a, a, a church at its best is supposed to be. We're all pulling in the same direction. Towards Jesus. So when we talk about Christ-centered relationships, we're talking about relationships that are built on a mutual desire for Jesus. 
And I wanted to give us kind of little phrases that might be good reminders of this. And the phrase I have for this one is, we're on the same team. I don't know about you, that, that's a, a phrase that has been, become pretty popular in our family. Um, or unpopular, depending on... on you unravel me times, you know, when, when with a melody. One of us ends up feeling defensive or judged or singled out or whatever it is. Or just grumpy. We have to stop and breathe and remind ourselves as a family, hey, we're on the same team. We're all pulling in the same direction. We're pulling for each other. We're on the same team together. And I think we need more of that in church as well to remember that we are on the same team. Um, What would happen to our relationships in the church if we constantly remembered that? If we were reminded, hey, we're all pulling towards Jesus. How would that change our conversations? How would that change the dynamics of our relationships? How would it change how we spent our time together? I, I find it interesting, you know, if we're, if we're at the gym, we talk to people around us about things we're doing at the gym. You know, what are you, what's working? What's not working? What, you know, what are you eating? What are you not eating? At work, we talk to each other about work and the things that are going on. Depending on the context of our relationship, that shapes what we're talking about. But I'm convicted very often of, of how few conversations I have just you know, casually with people about, what are you learning? How are you growing in Jesus? When our relationships are built on our mutual desire for him. And I think this helps us too as, as we hit the messiness of relationship. I, I, uh, the, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, uh, there are certain personality types, even in the church, that drive me crazy, drive me nuts. I said that during first worship and I had two guys come up to me afterwards like, it's me, right? <laughs> um, and the answer is yes. Um, no, of course not. Of course not. Um, I also am very well aware that I have a personality type uh, that really drives other people nuts at times. That can drive people crazy too. But how does it change things? If we remember, yeah, okay, we drive each other nuts. But we're pulling in the same direction. We're here because of Jesus. That's the basis of our our relationship. Paul believes that. So in the passage we read, what Paul's saying is, is, hey, our relationships within the church should be identifiable by their love and their mercy, and their peace, and their humility, and their patience. Not because we're good people, but because we're all pulling in the same direction. These are relationships built on our desire for Jesus. We are on the same team. Paul has more to say uh, in the passage today. I want to go back to that. We're going to be in verse 7, Ephesians chapter 4, and then we're going to skip down to verse 11 and read some more. He says this, However, he, God, has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. I'll skip down to 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. 
We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. There is a ton in that passage that we could talk about. I just want to focus on a couple of things. And the first thing is this, Christ-centered relationships are only possible because of Jesus. And the reminder here is we're not in charge here. We like to think we are a lot of times, but we're not. Christ is the head of the church, as Paul says here. Christ is the one creating these relationships in us. We're not in charge. Um, And I'm glad I'm not in charge for a lot of reasons. One of those being, if I'm honest and I look at the church, especially as the church starts in like the book of Acts in the New Testament, I have to ask the question, is this really a good idea? I'm not sure the church is a great idea at first. You look at it and you're like, okay, especially early on, it's, it's groups of people from all different walks of life, some of them enemies with each other. And we're going to put them all in a room and say, all right, be community together. Have fun, see ya. There's no way that works, right? That's not typically how we build community. Usually when we're looking for that, we look for people that look like us, talk like us, think like us, like what we like, can talk about what we like to talk about. We, we like to build community that way, to, to bring all these people with different viewpoints and different, to put them all together, you say, well, that's never going to work. That's a, that's a powder keg of problems there. And then on top of that, like I said, have you met people? I mean, you know what we can do to each other. Yeah, there's beautiful things that, that folks can do to each other, but, but really, very often, give it time, and we're going to disappoint each other. We're going to hurt each other. We don't always mean to. Sometimes it happens. There's going to be times that, that our selfishness and our pride creep into relationships. And what we want becomes more important than what anybody else wants. When power becomes more important than the relationship itself. And that starts creeping in and things start to fall apart there. You put a bunch of people in a room, at some point that's going to fall apart. They don't know how to listen to each other and don't know how to work together. There's going to be a real difficulty that happens because we hurt each other. And sometimes it gets even worse than that. It's a good bet that there are people in this room whose deepest pain came at the hands of other people who claim to be Christians. You may be one of them. And if you've experienced that, if your life is scarred by that, please know that our hearts are with you. And so is the heart of Jesus. Because that's not what he had in mind when he called his community together. That's not what he had in mind for the church. Some very difficult things can happen when left to our own devices. If we're trying to be the ones to build a relationship or to to make a a church work or make a relationship work, very often we're going to fail. And we're going to fail each other. And yet, 
even though on paper it doesn't look like it should work, and yet 2,000 years later, there's still a church. And even in places where, where there's persecution for faith, churches continue to pop up, believers in Christ rally together and have healthy relationships, Christ-centered relationships, they love each other, they challenge each other, they draw each other closer to Jesus. Even in some of the darkest places, there's an and yet. There's a, a church that pops up. It is in our greatest weaknesses that Jesus' strength is seen. And I think that's seen in the life of the church. That somehow we can hold on to the hope that even if on paper it shouldn't work, there's an and yet. God's still at work. His spirit is still at work and can still build those kind of relationships. I don't know about you, I'm a sucker for and yet stories. Where on paper one thing should, shouldn't work and yet it still does. On paper, the 1980 USA men's Olympic hockey team should not beat the Russians and yet. On paper, there should not exist anything like a Jamaican bobsled team <laughs> and yet. On parchment or scroll or something, uh, a group of ragtag heroes from a bunch of different races that don't even like each other all that much shouldn't be able to bond together and defeat the biggest evil any of them have known. And yet, on paper in the, the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, uh, a group of, of young female African-American mathematicians should not be able to overcome the cultural obstacles to contribute to one of the, 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 the most historic moments in humankind, sending people into space. And yet, I love these stories. Don't you? And, and, and we, if you watch movies, TV, or you read books, these stories are all over the place. We need these stories to remember that there's an and yet, even when it looks like on paper something shouldn't work, with God there is an and yet. And one of the, the biggest places that we see that is in the church. There's, there's no way this should work. There's no way a bunch of people that have very little in common other than Jesus should be able to, to strengthen each other and get along. And yet that's exactly where the power of Jesus can be seen. That's where the power of the Spirit is seen. Is in the community as it's built and encouraged. We are not in charge. Christ is the one that builds these relationships just when it seems like the church is about to fall apart, there's an and yet. Just when it seems like you can't love that person anymore. Like, I, I can't do it. I just can't handle that person, whoever it is, anymore. There's an and yet. Just when it seems like Christ-centered relationships are impossible, there's an and yet. We are on the same team. We're not in charge. I want you to see something else from this passage. Um, we can be changed by the kinds of relationships that focus on Jesus. Christ-centered relationships are transformational. Uh, the reminder here is we are growing together. When we allow Christ to work in our relationships, we can grow. In, in the, the passage that we've read this morning, I don't know if you heard the language, but Paul talks about it in terms of we mature in our faith. We mature in our faith in the context of, of community. 
Which is weird because we, we tend to think of, of maturing happening on our own. Like we'll do the things we need to do to kind of grow up and, you know, take the lessons in. Learn. That's, not, that's not how the church is portrayed. It's no, we, we grow together. In relationship, we, we sharpen each other, we encourage each other, we point each other to Jesus, we come to know him more and more. We grow, as the passage says, in our faith and knowledge of God's son. We, we come to know him more and realize our need for him. And it changes who we are. I hope you've had relationships like that, that change you. I have, I've had lots of them. Um, I'll just share with one of them at the beginning of kind of the COVID lockdown, as a staff, we were trying to do everything we could think of to keep people connected. And we were just throwing stuff at the wall, hoping it would stick, right? And one of the things we were doing is on Zoom, I was hosting uh, prayer times, morning, night, afternoon. And uh, after a while, there was kind of a small group that would meet in the mornings to pray. And there's so many beautiful relationships and things that came out of that. But there were certain days when it would end up being me and one other man from this congregation. Often his wife would join us, but a lot of times it would just be me and him. And it's safe to say that outside of us going to the same church, there's pretty much no other way in the world we'd know each other. He's of my parents' generation. He's older than me. We grew up in different places. We have completely different interests. We have uh, different sets of skills. He's good at like gardening. I'm not. He likes a lot of things that, that I don't like. We don't have a, a ton in common. But on those mornings, we would pray together. And I got to tell you, there were moments where it felt like I was eavesdropping on a very intimate conversation. This is a man who had been in the presence of God time after time after time in prayer. And you could tell he talked to God that way. He, he in, in humility, offered himself to God. He, he was a man who knows his desperate need for Jesus. And that came out in our prayer times together. And I would sit there and pray with this man and hear the ways he talked to Jesus, the ways he talked to God. Like, this is a man who's been shaped by the Spirit of God. And it's not, you can't do that for very long without being changed. I was changed by it. I began to pray differently. I began to see my family differently, my, my church differently. I began to understand so many of the things that I've seen that man do for my family and for many others. I've seen him do incredible things. And I, I got it. It wasn't because he's a good person, though he is. And it wasn't because he's trying to earn something. He did it because this is a man who's tasted the forgiveness and the mercy and the love of Jesus Christ. And he knew how to live that out for other people to see. And that changed me. And I think Christ wants to work in us and in our relationships to change each other. And then as, as that happens, as we're changed, we go out and we live these lives amongst other people as well. And they see humility and patience and love and mercy. And they taste what they've seen, what they see in us that comes from Jesus Christ. Um, look, I know I haven't been super practical today. I haven't given us like five steps of building a healthy relationship or stuff. I think there's a lot of good in that, but I, I wanted to, uh, I want to step back. I think we rush to the practical a lot. Give me something to do um, without spending enough time on the why. 
What, why do we have these relationships? What's the reason for them? And I want to remind us of that today, but I do want to be practical for a couple of minutes. I want to tell you of a couple of things that are coming up in the life of our church that I want to invite you to be part of. Um, in February, our adult classes on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., we're all going to meet together in the gym down this hallway here with a focus on how do you build intergenerational relationships? How do we have relationships with people that are of different generations than us? And what, does that, what does that look like? And we want to we kind of get to know each other more and spend time talking about that. Also in February, Corey's going to be starting a, a series, a sermon series. And as part of that, we're going to be giving you some spiritual rhythms that you can practice during the week. And, and part of those rhythms is going to be checking in with other Christians, with other people to say, hey, what are you learning? What are you hearing? Hey, I know that there are people in this room who feel disconnected from church. Um, and I get it. I have felt that as well. And I know it can be hard to take the first step into relationship. I get that. Felt that as well. But I want to invite you over the next weeks to take a step. To take a step towards someone else to just, just kind of, you know, test God. I mean, just see what God does. When you take that, te- that step towards someone else in, in, in order to build a Christ-centered relationship, we would love for you to be part of these activities and then any opportunities that God puts in your way to grow in relationship with someone else. We think that's a good, good thing. And we want to invite you to be part of it. Church, would you please stand? Around Riverside, we have a word that we use to talk about building Christ-centered relationships. We use the word uh, invest. We invest in each other. We invest time and prayer and effort. And we do that not because we're good people. Some of us are. We don't do it because we're trying to earn something. We do it because this is our opportunity to reflect the love of Jesus. That's the last thing I want you to hear about Christ-centered relationships. They're our chance, our opportunity to reflect the love of Jesus in the world. And I don't want us to pass that up. They're a chance for us to be part of what God is doing. And we do that by reflecting the love and the mercy and the humility of Jesus Christ. And I think that's, a, that's an incredible calling for us to have. I don't know where you are in your journey with Christ. You may, you may have all kinds of questions about that. We'd love to talk to you about it. You, you may just be starting out. We'd love to talk to you about that as well and pray with you. Um, I know we're all in, in, in different places. But I know that we need each other. And that Jesus works through our relationships to help strengthen us and draw us closer to him. We started this morning uh, with scripture, and I want to end with scripture as well, reading from another prison letter. This is from uh, Paul to the the Christians in the town of Philippi, the book of Philippians chapter 2. And he says this, he says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? You know what he's asking? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to live in unity with each other? Are you ready to live 
uh, towards each other the way Christ has called you? And he says this, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's my prayer for us today, that wherever we are in our faith, that we can grow so that people can say we have the same attitude as Christ Jesus has. Let's worship together.